Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Rotato, Just Rotato, where we pass wisdom from generation to generation. And in today's episode, our guest is Mary Ingram, the founder of Volunteer Nebraska and former diversion officer. This is a very in-depth, vulnerable conversation around the power of giving youth ownership over their voices, over leadership, community service, and so much more. So make sure you listen to the full episode because the best part is towards the end. And no, don't skip the middle. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, Mary, and welcome to the Bridging Impact Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on today. I'm thrilled to have our conversation around service, and I feel like service and leadership are very intertwined, which leads us to the first question we always ask our guests is, what is your definition of impactful leadership, and how does it show up in your everyday life? I think this is an outstanding question. For me, I try to make things as simple as I can so that it's easy to explain. And I would say that impactful leadership is when leadership can create change. And in order for you to have some direction in that, I have, I have to identify a problem, something that needs to be fixed, changed, or improved. And when I can do that, then I need to find a solution. There needs to be a change in that. And how do I go about doing it? And I think that there's a process for that. Yeah, that's a great place to start. And I think um, segueing from there, I'd love to kind of touch on the three questions that you talk about with change that you talked about in your podcast, or not in your podcast, in your TED Talk um, that you gave last year. Those three questions uh, could be used at any time. I use them in a juvenile justice atmosphere Uh, because community service to me is problem solving and kids are assigned community service and I totally get their perspective of this is no fun we have to do this but that is not what community service is it's such a privilege to get out there and have a voice in your community and make an impact And I wanted them to see it from that perspective. So rather than me just assigning them a service project, I wanted them to go out into the community and and look around. What do they see that needed to be fixed, changed, or improved? And when they identified that problem, whatever it was, I could ask them the three questions. Do you play a role? Can it be changed? And can you change it? If they said yes to those three questions, they had... You know, they had to do something. Whether it worked or not, I didn't care. But you need to take some action on that problem. And it was really almost, I kind of chuckle at it, but the problem that the kids kept identifying is that there's nothing fun for them to do. A lot of the kids that were coming Mm -hmm. through my diversion program was based on alcohol use. They were partying on the weekends. And... A lot of people would look at that and identify the problem as alcohol use. That wasn't the core problem. The problem was there's nothing as an alternative for kids to do. So that's the problem they identified. Right. And they took off with it. 
Yeah, they took off with it. No, that's beautiful. And I think I almost want to kind of go back a little bit and touch on your point of like reframing the opportunity that you get to have to serve the community. Because I think, you know, if you're working in the juvenile justice system and I have a brief familiar familiarity, like I talked about, I, I had the class in that for those that are listening, I took a class at University of Oregon inside Oregon State Penitentiary and it was on the juvenile justice system. And a lot of times with the juvenile justice system, you have to perform X amount of community service hours. Well, when you assign it like that, then it feels like work and it's something you have to do. You talk about the shifting of that have to do to get to do and what that kind of unlocks for someone to connect to their own community. It is exactly what I saw is that these kids did not want to do their service hours. It wasn't fun. I actually had an incident happen. Uh, It was on a Saturday morning. We were working at a kind of a community park area and the kids were out there picking up trash Mm -hmm. and we were digging dandelions out of the lawn and, you know, just cleaning up the area. And a man and his little boy were passing by. They were just walking down the sidewalk and I saw him tug at his little boy's arm and he said, you better be good or you're going to be doing that. And he pointed in our direction. Right. And for me, it was like that wow moment that this is not just the way these kids are seeing it. The general population Mm. can look at it that way as well. And also this man is teaching his son who was probably four or five, I would guess. Is that the way we want to teach our small children? about community service and it just a light went on for me and and I took off. (laughs) No, I love that. And so when you're taking off, right, because I actually have an opposite experience where I went to a tiny school in Northern California, K through 12 or no K through eight, 120 kids. And we had to do community service to graduate. And also there's something about being in a small school, small community that when I was in fifth grade, we read to the first graders. When you're in eighth grade, you uh, mentor and tutor the fifth grader. So there's this cycle of kind of giving back. So I kind of had a seed planted that community service is important. Of course, when you're a kid, maybe you don't want to do that. You kind of want to be selfish and, and, and have fun. But some of those ideas are planted in us at a really young age. So can you talk about some of the you know work that you are doing to kind of reframe and reshape how kids are thinking and seeing community service? I think the example to share with you is probably one that happened with myself and my youngest daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. My daughter, my daughter was six weeks old when we were invited to come into a nursing facility. And when you talk about a small community, we were living in a small town here in Nebraska, eleven hundred people. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're talking a really yeah, small community. Yeah, And she was invited to uh, come into the nursing facility. Now, at first I'm like, well, what are we going to have to do? She's six weeks old. And the volunteer coordinator said, we just want you to bring her in. The the residents would love to hold her and love on her and cuddle her. And it'll just be a wonderful Mm -hmm. hour. And she wanted me to do this once a month. And I thought, okay, I can do this. So I started bringing her in. Right. And right. I, they would hold her and pass her around, and they would tell me stories about how, you know, a parenting experience for them. They would ask me, you know, what is she learning? Is she, uh, does she like to play peekaboo? Is it, 
Uh, is she walking yet? Can yeah. she roll over? Yeah. I mean, all of those questions. And as Emily grew, each time she would go, we would have more residents. So her circle of support grew in numbers. And she really mm-hmm. began to feel like these were grandparents. This kid had more grandparents than any child on the planet. But as Emily became yeah. a toddler and could run around the, the, you know, the halls a little bit and move, she started playing balloon volleyball with them. And they had her leading this exercise okay. in their exercise class. And I started to step back and go, this isn't just benefiting these residents, my daughter is getting so much experience in leadership, Mm -hmm. uh, becoming more socially Mm -hmm. outgoing, more confident in herself. She was gaining so much from this simple little interaction that she was having at this nursing home. Yeah, there's, there's so much to that because I, when I was, you know, doing some research, I, I read through your article about unmasking people and or unmasking ourselves, right? And, and just being ourselves, being our authentic selves. And I've talked a little bit about that before because as a, as a person who is is a connector, you know, sometimes I can wear my mask with the people that I'm connecting with, and so it's it's almost a little bit challenging to, you know, not necessarily be my authentic self, but I've I've put on masks as a younger person, like when I was in high school, when I was in college. And even, you know, kind of coming out of college. And so with that, I found that I really found a lot of myself and and who I am through service and and through serving other people, which is almost what I hear you talking about with your own daughter. So could you expand more on how, like, you know, serving the community actually ends up helping yourself and finding and discovering who, who we are as individuals? important to to be authentic and and who are you and i think we're at all times we're trying to define that uh and sometimes it takes Mm -hmm. till your mind (laughs) to to really feel comfortable with who you are i think right right it is something that comes to mind for me is uh, several years ago i heard a gentleman by the name of uh rafe rafe Esquith. He was an educator, I think, out in California. And he was okay. doing a presentation, okay. and he's done some YouTube uh, things, so you can find it there, on uh, Lawrence Kohlberg's Six Levels of Moral Development. And okay. it is kind of your why be behind why you do anything. And I linked these six levels to community service. Because it really explained okay. to me okay. why some people do it and what, what is in it in them that make you choose to do mm-hmm. service. And the very first level was to avoid punishment. And I was kind of thinking at the time, well, the kids who are in trouble aren't doing it to avoid punishment. It kind of is a punishment. But then I right, thought, right, no. Right, right they want to avoid going back to court and getting a harsher sentence. So they're going to do what I ask of them. It is to avoid punishment. The next level was uh, self-interest. What's in it for me? And there might be some students as, you know, I'm dealing with mostly teens, but 
at that level, they might be doing it because they're going to be applying for college scholarships. And it looks great on that application. So they might be out there doing service yeah. because yeah. it's something that they can, that they will benefit from. Yeah. Number yeah. three right. is right. praise. Uh, they might be doing it. If, if you're a boy scout or a girl scout, uh, you're doing it because you're going to get a badge. You're going to get recognized for it. Mm. Uh, my nonprofit that I started a few years ago, that's what it's based on. It's, it's recognition for kids preschool to high school who do service. So number three was praise. The fourth one is it's the rule. And so many schools today make it a requirement to graduate. It's a rule. And that's why kids are doing it. We want our kids to see this in levels five and six. We want them to be at that level. Number five, the easiest okay. way for me to explain okay. is it's, it's, uh, you can serve others. You get to help someone and that makes you feel good. So that's why you're going to do it. And the last one is yes. it becomes your personal code of conduct. It's your choice. It's who you are. You see something that needs to be fixed, you're going to go take care of it. You see someone that needs help, you're going to do it because that's who you are. Now, I won't say that this has anything to do with age because I knew a little girl uh, who she would go on walks with her mom and there was lots of trash thrown around on the hike bike trail. It bothered her so much that her mom said, why don't you just bring a garbage bag along and do it? And she started picking up trash all along the That's bike amazing. trail and she loved it. She even got a little irritated when the adults would keep throwing their trash out. <laughs> she wanted, you know, right. it bothered right. her that they were not being respectful of the environment, but that's who she mm-hmm. is. So when you look at those six reasons or those six levels of moral development, where are you at? And you can do this for anything. Why do you go to work? Why do you make your bed in the morning? You know, you can justify all of your actions using those six right. levels right. to really define who you are. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I'm almost, I want to stay on the service topic because number one, I love serving others. That's number five. But then it once you serve others and you do it consistently, I don't want to say the word constantly, but consistently, it becomes a part of who you are. So to me, like I see, I recognize the value and, and service to others. And maybe it's not always community service because I get paid to coach basketball. But to me, like I'm coaching kids, like that is an act of service, even though I am being compensated for it, but it's part of who I am. I'm curious how you develop that in, in your nonprofit and develop that as a part and, and, and develop the, the desire to serve others as a part of who who a lot of the people, especially in the juvenile system are. You know, I, I agree that number five looks to be like that, but really it can be service at any level because mm-hmm. it might be the kids who have to do it, that are doing it because they you know don't want to go back to court, but how you introduce right. it to them can open their eyes to see it at a much deeper level. Any one of these levels, can be the introduction to helping them step toward that personal code of conduct where it becomes who they are. Right. So when when kids come to me and they're doing it because it's a graduation requirement, my thought is 
okay, great. You know, you're taking responsibility and you're trying to get your ducks in a row to, to graduate. But what problem mm-hmm. do you want to fix? Make it personal to them. Mm-hmm. Make it something that they want to work on. It's not what project do I have available. I want to know what is it that you want to work on and why is that important? Because this goes in for me kind of a problem solving tool that I teach is when I can identify a problem that this is, this is the goal. Okay. This is, this is what we want to fix. We identify a solution and then I go, why is it important? And if they can tell me why it's important to them, I want it to be extremely important. It's not just, Oh, I want to get this done. You know, no, you know, maybe you want to go help a, a, let's say we're going to help a food uh, kitchen, a soup kitchen. Maybe you yourself went hungry for a while, or maybe you saw somebody Mm. eating out of a dumpster and it really bothered you. Then when you take action and you go to do something about it, and if it works great, you can, you evaluate it and say it worked, we can celebrate. That's kind of the, the pathway for it. But what happens if it didn't work? Then you have to look at that and go, why didn't it work? How can we change it? And we're going to try it again. Well, if that why is really important, you're going to make that. And you'll do that over and over and over again until you get it right. But if that why is passive, it really doesn't matter. First time you fail, eh, not a big deal. You're going to go on. If it's important to you, you will stay with that problem and you'll work through it until mm. you get the results that you want. And that is with any kind of a problem. Yeah, so to me, I kind of hear that it's about like guiding people to find their that internal kind of why, but like really connecting it to it. So like for me, like why I work and I coach youth basketball is that's where I I learned so much of my life lessons was through sports. I had a lot of great coaches. I had so many positive experiences that I want to give that back. And that's something that that's important to me that I will show up and do that even on the days when I am tired, tired and I don't feel like it. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're cultivating within. Um, it's just, a, it's a, it's a constant process of asking these, these three questions of, of what can I do? But number one, why, why do I want to do it in the first place? Right to ask you how you probably can name coaches that had an impact in your life would right. you say yes right is that who you're striving yeah oh 100 you know yes and, mo- and most you, definitely most definitely and when you have a student who comes back to you and goes well thank you you know you helped you know you taught me something or i finally made that home run or whatever you're coaching in you know yeah um, yeah you right can feel, you right. feel good it makes you feel good Mm. To be able to yeah. look at that yeah. child and say, I see growth in that child and I'm really having that impact yeah. that we want to have. Right. Right. Yeah, no, seeing the growth in, in kids is like why I do it. It's like amazing when when you start working with them the first day and then, you know, at the end of the season or the end of of a school year, you know, and you see that, you know, little humans growth, it's, it's amazing. And then especially with the, the connections that you build with them, you know, the relationships you build with the parents and they like start to notice, like, that's kind of what, what really 
that's why I do it. Right. And I think, you know, I, I, and I want to pass that on to other people and get them passionate about what they're passionate about so they can kind of do the same thing. Um, and that's, that's almost what I'm doing here with the podcast is I'm hoping that I can, you know, pass wisdom from generation to generation and inspire people to go and, and find that, that why that they want to continue giving back and making the world a better place. I, I can really feel that in you, that this is important. And right. I think right. this will only magnify as you get older and you start to see mm. the young people that you've worked with. Uh, I have kids who, you know, are now teachers and coaches. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's I amazing. have uh, uh, parents, you know, they're now parenting and they have their own children. It's just, there's just so much satisfaction. It just warms my right. heart when I can see these these yeah. kids, yeah. you know, and my nonprofit that I have, uh, it's exciting because I have a couple of the kids who were kids, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago, who now serve on my board of directors, and they now are That's a part That's of amazing. my nonprofit. And it is, there's just so much satisfaction in being able to sit back and, and look out and see what those kids that are no longer kids are doing. Right. Right. And to know you had a little, you know, a little play in that. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, a, I, I remember when I first began, like I was like, I, I thought it would be like a big percentage, you know, but there's so many other factors that are going on that if I can just be a little percent of, of an impact, like that's, that's doing the best I can, right? Just do the best I can. My question to you actually is where, where did this journey for you come from serving others and, and going along? Was it when you were in childhood and, or as you kind of became an adult, how did this come to be? I think in my memory, if my memory is serving me, I think my first uh, thing that comes to mind is I was in the third grade and my third grade teacher asked me if I could stay after school and help her clean out some of the art cupboards. You know, I was little, I could get down in inside and pull things out of me. It was just easier for me to do it than her. But I felt like, wow, I can help my teacher. And I love my teacher. She was an awesome. Right, right. Uh, the next yeah. year, yeah. the principal asked me if I would serve on a youth advisory council. They were trying to look at some of the rules. They were having problems like with people bringing bikes, like they might only live a couple of blocks away, but they were riding their bike to school and the bike racks were overcrowded okay. and, you know, just a mess. Okay. And so he wanted to set some rules up, but he didn't really want to be the dictator of it. He didn't want to say, this is what it's going to happen. Right. So right. he brought a you know, a group of kids together to say, what's a reasonable distance that you should live in order for kids to ride their bikes? And we came up with so many blocks away. And because the kids were the ones who had made the rule, everybody jumped in and said, yeah, we understand why you're doing it. And, you know, this is the way it's going to go. The bike rack area got cleared up. But that experience of giving us a voice to be able to work as a team, mm. discuss discuss issues about what are we considering, and seeing adults run with it, and it worked, really, I think was a valuable lesson for me as a kid to say, wow, kids right. can make a difference. Right. And yeah. giving that, yeah. uh, you know, starting the Merritt County Youth Council when I did as a diversion officer, I think 
can be linked back to when I served on that board as how I felt giving these kids a voice. I mean, it all is connected. It's like one journey that just kind of takes you through it. Yeah, it is. It's amazing how everything builds upon itself. And I love you for you to expand a little bit more because when we talked on the on the pre-pod call, we talked about youth leadership. And a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm even probably guilty of saying it myself is we talk about impacting the next generation of, of leaders so they can lead tomorrow. But you're talking about how youth can lead today. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if kids are heard. I don't know if they feel heard. And I think that that is important for us as adults to sit back and go, what do you see that needs to be fixed, changed, or improved? How would you go about it? Is there anything that I can do to help you do that? Because kids, Mm. and I'm talking any age of kids, I'm not talking just teens or near, you know, close adults. I'm saying any kid. I have seen kids, the little the little girl who was, you know, I think maybe four or five at the time who was going out and cleaning up the hike bike trail. You know, it was something she identified. She went out and did it. Uh, I have seen, we had uh, a project that we worked on in uh, Franklin, small community. We were uh, renovating a movie theater. And I wanted to get kids involved in it. You know, yeah, a lot of the adults were doing fundraisers and we were doing the, you know, the manual labor of cleanup and painting and doing all of that. But I wanted to get the kids involved. This should be a community project. Every individual could help. I went into the elementary school. I think the kids were sixth grade. And I said, let's do a, uh, an auction, you know, a silent auction. And we could ask these famous people for things to donate. And then we'll auction them off. And you guys can ask anybody you want. And they're like, you mean we get to write a letter to, you know, who else? Yeah. We got, I think Jerry Rice donated a football jersey for us. That's Uh, awesome. That's awesome. Debbie Gibson, who that's probably dating me, but uh, (laughs) she had had sent a cassette, a music cassette. We're talking cassette nice. tapes. Nice. Uh, for right her, back in the day. For yeah. her donation. Uh, we had a, a politician who used to be the governor, was now a, a, a United States senator. He donated a okay. photograph of the Capitol building. Nice. Uh, you know, so nice. we were getting these contributions, and these kids were like, wow, my letter worked. I got this, you know, and they were really right. pumped. Right. But this was a fun project that they got to, you know, reach out, help build. It ended up not being a super successful money, you know, income. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like we earned thousands of dollars with the donations. We didn't care. This was a fun activity that these kids brought together and we did it as a community. Yeah. Honestly, what I, what I hear in that is, is, uh, focus on the long-term development of the impact of that experience had on the kids versus the short-term need to raise a bunch of money because the, you know, the parents and the adults obviously have more fundraising experience and could have made, you know, more money, but essentially you're giving that power to, to the youth, the ownership that they were a part of this project and they have, you know, 
say in how how the the fundraiser is going to be run. So I I think that's amazing. And a lot of the podcasts I end up having talking to other coaches talk about the power of giving ownership. And can you you know almost you know what what are your thoughts on on ownership when it comes to leadership? It's it, it's a must for for you to be able to own the project or the the problem. Let's say the problem. If if it doesn't have anything to do with me, I may not even care. But if right. I can somehow right. connect to it, you know, maybe it's a neighbor that's I see that is struggling, or uh, the kids in my community, or, or whatever it is. If I can say. I play a role. And we go back to those three questions. Do you have a role in it? Can it be changed? And can you change it? If you can say yes to those three questions, you have an obligation to do something about it. You might not be able to fix it. You know, you might not really, it might not work. But did you open someone's eyes to that problem? Did you make it a little bit better? If that's the case, you did something that advanced it and that's reason right. to celebrate right yeah that is definitely a reason to celebrate so with those three questions and leading into kind of the the final the tail end of our podcast how can young leaders and young coaches who are working with youth now in utilize those three questions in their in their everyday work either as coaches or youth development or teachers people working with youth you know, I, I think um, it can be, those three questions can be used in any issue. If you're working with a student and that student is uh, really struggling, maybe he's struggling with passing a class at, at school. Maybe he's struggling with, you know, uh, getting along with his parents. I mean, it can be any problem. And you introduce those three questions, you start to focus on what is it that you that that, that you are responsible for. And that kind of goes right. into accountability. Right. Um, the three things that I tell um, the kids that I was working with is that you're responsible for, for three things. You're responsible for your decisions, your actions, and your attitude. If something is happening out here, those three things are what you can have an impact on. And right. it might be right. a decision to do something. It might be your reaction because of your attitude toward whatever it is. But right. when you look right. at those three things, you, you are dealing with everything that you have control over. And what you do with it will determine whether or not you're successful in whatever you're facing, whatever problem you, whatever problem you have in front of you. And so it isn't just about community service. It can be about anything. Right. I think it's about kind of teaching kids that they have the power over those. I think sometimes they don't understand that they have their own ownership over making decisions over actions and attitudes. And then it's almost probably having a, a discussion around, okay, what are the decisions that you're making? You probably don't have the decisions or you probably don't have the decision power over your parents, right? You probably can't affect the actions of the weather, right? 
and you can't affect the attitudes of the people around you, but you can affect them. You can take control of them with yourself. So with that being said, then kind of like building on it. Okay. Then what's next? How can you solve this problem and giving that, giving back that ownership, giving back that power? I have found, again, I'll go back to listening. When a, when a child feels that he's being listened to, that somebody right. is right. is there tuned in, they tend to come to you. So if a child right. is truly right. facing a serious, a serious issue, they will come to you and talk to you about it. And I think something that I had to learn, and I learned this from my uh, oldest daughter, is my first response to her is, this is what you should do blah, 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 and I can go through and give her my suggestion. I had to learn to be quiet and say, I understand that you're frustrated in this situation. What do you think is the solution? Mm -hmm. And she would give me what she thought she could do. If it's something that I think that's a pretty good idea, you know, I don't know if it'll work or not. I can say, go try it. See if that works. Let, Let them go out there and do it. You might know hmm, it's not going to work. She's going to find something out. But if there's right. no danger, right. you know, or anything, and it's just a, uh, it's just something she's going to learn from that process. She'll come back and say, "That didn't work, Mom." <laughs> you yeah. Know? Well, why yeah. didn't it work? What What could we change? What What happened? You know, tell me about it. And that right. that conversation happens, and that is all you're teaching them first about trust. And trusting somebody that you know that you're you're working with, uh, also gaining confidence in themselves because mm-hmm. something didn't work. Well, I'm not giving up. I'm going to try something yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. And that is just a life lesson that we implement every day for everything that we do. You know, kids. Yes. So many times, yes. people. It's kind of like wearing the mask. We think we have to do everything perfectly. We have to get it done right on the first try. And right. You know, that's right. great if you can do it. Most of the time, I would say, no, that isn't the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I read a book, I remember a year ago, that like kind of changed my perspective around working with youth. It was something around taming the advice monster and asking questions. And as, as adults, we always just want to tell the kids, you need to do this, you need to do that, right? Instead of giving them, asking them questions and, and letting them kind of, you know, figure it out and make those mistakes, right? As long as it's not dangerous, it's not going to put them in harm's way. Like, I don't know, for me, I know that a lot of times I hear something and I'm like, ah, I'll go figure it out on my own. Then I'm like, ah, and then I learned the lesson, right? It's more powerful to learn your, learn the lesson yourself and kind of go through that process. And you're right. It does build confidence because if you do get it right, you're, you build that confidence. Like, oh, I made that decision. And then this happened and it worked. All right. I'm, you know, I have this, right. I have this feeling. So I, I love that. You know, I would ask you when you started your podcast, did you really know what you were doing? No way. No, I didn't. And this is kind of, this is in the second podcast that I'm on. And the first podcast, I really had no idea. And even though I did a podcast before, I kind of like, you know, stopped for a year and I still was kind of nervous about what in the world I was doing. Um, and if you if the people that are listening that listen the first few episodes, even of this bridging impact podcast, I was definitely nervous in the way and and now I'm more confident because I keep doing it. I keep going through my own progress. Like I could ask, you know, I could ask any other podcaster, you know, what's it like? And and I could just lean on them. 
but they can't tell me all the answers. I have to kind of, you know, figure that out along the way for myself. Absolutely. You know, I think about uh, when I started my nonprofit, I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew what I wanted to accomplish with it. And it was right. amazing right. how many people came into my life and said, mm. you're going to need to do this. I can do that part for you. You know, attorneys, yeah. uh, CPAs. Yeah. I mean, people were coming in and saying, I used to be a, an IRS agent. I can do your, you know, yeah. file your, yeah. for your 501c3. Really? Great. Because I'm <laughs> yeah. trying. Yeah. And, right. I'm not, you know, right. and, and people came in and helped me do what I needed to do. And again, exactly. as much as I feel like this is very personal, it's a project that's very personal. I could not have done it without the community mm-hmm. coming together to help me and support me in it. Yeah. And I think that's another, another valuable lesson. Like I love, this is my favorite quote of all time. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it is amazing. Once you start rallying around a project, you know, like at first, like I had a harder time kind of, you know, figuring out who's going to be a guest on my show, this and that. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm overflowing with guests. I'm reaching out to people like yourself that I meet, you know, on Medium and Twitter. And then I have people that are in my life, like, you know, in in the physical world. So it's like kind of all happening. And I thought I was only going to do 12 episodes. Well, I'm like, I don't want to stop. You know, I want to keep going. Like I'm, I, I get a lot of joy of having this conversation, you know, with you in Nebraska, talking about caring, talking about service, talking about leadership, just by starting and, and asking myself questions and going on that own journey. Well, I appreciate the fact that you're doing this because Thank you're you. giving not only myself, but everyone that you interview a voice and it's enabling us to connect with people yep. all over who have similar either interests or need to hear this, you know, yeah. maybe they're a, a, yeah. a kid who's struggling going, you know what? I might have a voice in this and, yeah. and go out and do yeah. something. You will never know the impact that you are having. I know. I think that that is honestly one of the most interesting things as someone that is probably as grown up in the kind of like social media era. And this is something that I've been challenged with is like the impact is not the likes, comments, subscribes, or, or whatever it is, right? Like that's so measurable in our logical head, like is just like always judges ourselves on this. But I know that the impact that I have when I'm at a boys and girls club, when I'm coaching basketball, when I'm just working with youth is so much more impactful. And, and having these conversations where someone that listens to this probably won't, won't like reach out to me because they may, might, or, or yourself, right? They might not feel comfortable, but they're impacted by this conversation. And that's why I do it. And I'm sure that's kind of, that's why you do it as well. Yeah. You know, I would go back to my third grade teacher. She probably had no idea that I would grow up to be an adult who that simple act of asking me to help her clean out the cupboard. Right. Right. Has started the ripple effect, the little ripple effect. And you have no idea what, what it can really amount to. Yeah. So I, I would like, as we wrap up this conversation, I, I actually would like you to think about for all the, you know, your nonprofit, what is the vision that you have kind of for the world, the ripple effect that you're hoping to start like your third grade teacher? Make me cry. <laughs> I think I want to see juvenile prisons close. If we can start with kids at a very, very young age, giving them a voice, empowering them to know how to handle problems, 
They won't make the decisions that put in there. I couldn't agree more. I really don't think that we should be imprisoning kids. And I appreciate you and your vulnerability and, and just this overall conversation. And I think there's just so much power to giving people a voice, especially those that don't have a voice. You know, I'm, I'm here in LA and I have a, I have a, I have a privilege and opportunity to work in, in Watts. And I think oftentimes like we don't give some of the people that are underprivileged or are in the juvenile system a voice and, and they're human too. And they just may not have been taught some of these skills. So I think it's a, it's an amazing, amazing work that you are doing. Well, thank you so much for, for providing this platform for me, listening to me cry and rant. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And this is why I do it. This is why I do it. So with that, where, where can people find you, your work, your nonprofit, and any, any parting any words? Parting words. I, I have a couple of websites. Um, I have a personal website at maryingram.com. And the nonprofit is volunteernebraska.org. Beautiful. Anytime. And I found Mary on Medium. She's also on Twitter, which is where we were connecting. So definitely give her a follow on Medium. Some great articles, especially for serving, serving the community and serving kids. I appreciate your time today, Mary. And let's definitely stay in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bridging Impact Podcast. We'd love it if you would like subscribe, leave a comment and a review on whatever platform you're on. It's the best way to help us grow. We appreciate you for doing that. We'll shout you out on social media. I'd also love if you connected with me on social media. Let me know your thoughts. And this is why I do it. I want to share knowledge and wisdom from experienced leaders to people like yourself and myself so we can have this dialogue and move forward and make an impact on the world. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, Cheers.